time to talk about the difference between living by faith and living by the law. And the reality is that Paul says, we as believers, the followers of Jesus, need to learn to live by faith and not by the law. And I want to tell you this, it's a learning process. Now, let's stop for a minute. What does Paul mean there? When Paul says he wa- we are called as Christians to live by faith, it means this, that we trust in what Jesus has done for us and that we trust his word, therefore we live according to his word. That is what it means to live by faith. And when Paul says, you know, do not live by the law, he's not talking about, you know, disrespect authority, you know, blast those who are in authority, disrespect police officers, forget about the law, don't follow any rules. That's not what it's talking about at all. If you follow no rules, you're, you're going to have some problems. You heard it from me, okay? You're going to have some problems if you don't follow rules. So that's not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is really talking about is legalism. And he's talking about, to the Galatians, he's talking about the law of Moses. You see, when God took Israel out of slavery from Egypt, they had a way of living that was not right before the eyes of God. They had a slavery mindset, and God established some rules to tutor them, the Bible says, to prepare them and to point out the fact that they are desperately in need of a Savior. When Jesus came, what the Bible says and what Paul says is you no longer have to live by the law, you can live by faith. You no longer have to live by a legalistic rule-keeping, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And today, just like the Galatians, there are many people, their relationship with God is not based on an intimate relationship, it's more based on rules. Anybody know anybody like that? Can anybody say, I used to be like that? Anybody? Just a couple honest people here. Okay. You know, we come to church and we get saved by the power of God and then we get the checklist and we start doing the checklist and we start living by the rules and everybody else has to keep the rules because if they don't keep the rules, then we get critical about them. Not us, you know, just just an example, right? We get critical about people. They have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, like a certain kind of music, you know what I mean? Speak in tongues like in the right syllables. We got all all these kinds of rules and things, right? And you know, that's just legalism. The Bible makes a case that that's, that's slavery, just like being slaves to sin, right? So we're not supposed, the Bible, when you read the Bible, when it comes to understanding God, it's not about rules. It's about an intimate relationship. And when I get to know him, I know what he loves, and I know what he likes, and I want to hang out with him, and I become like him. And there is a whole different way of life when I live that way, right? You know, before, Christians just... They didn't, a lot of times in my life, I don't know about you, but I met some Christians that didn't make God approachable. You know, it's like, man, I don't know that I can serve that God. And he certainly was not an attractive God. Not that God, not that God has to do whatever we like, but you know, he just didn't look like a God who was interested in me. You know, these people are not happy. These people seem to criticize everybody. They have bad breath all day long because they're fasting. I love to eat. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you the way that I would think. You know, I, that's the way I would think. I say, I do not want to be a Christian. Thank you very much. I like to live. That's what I thought. That's a bad representation of the kingdom. And I'm telling, you know, I'm just coming unglued, letting you know what I used to think. That's what I used to think. So, but that's not Christianity because Christianity is not about rules. It's not about legalism. It's certainly not about being critical of others. It's about freedom. It's about freedom. So Paul is, uh, the scripture that we're about to read, I just want to 
kind of again give some context. Before we get to chapter three, Paul took some time to talk to them about what the real gospel is, and he said, if anybody preaches to you anything other than this gospel that you received, then it's a lie, and let that person be accursed, right? He said, there is a gospel, the gospel is the gospel of freedom, if not of legalistic pursuits, and so he addresses that. Also, Paul talks about how God saved him, and he was the worst of enemies, and we've learned, you know, God can reach the worst of enemies, right? God can reach those that we think are really far from, from his embrace. We also saw how Paul, in chapter 2 and in chapter 1, made a defense for, for who he was as an apostle, as sent out by the church. And he spoke of the testimony, the way that God reached him, and it's a powerful deal. And then in chapter 3, we get to the meat and potatoes of the message that he wants to give to the Galatians. This is what he wants them to deal with. And he starts in a very kind way. If you go with me to Galatians chapter 3, this is the kind of Christmas cards I like to get. You foolish Galatians. The first, oh, thank you so much. Now notice there, Galatians chapter 3. First thing that Paul says to, to the Galatians, and really you can translate this, dear children, how foolish, dear fools. So, you know, really a translator said, you dear, dear idiots. I love you so much, but right now you're a couple fries short of a happy meal, right? So he says, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Let's pause right there. Bewitched you. Key word in understanding here. When Paul used that word bewitched, he was speaking of the spirit of darkness, the deception. And it's just something that we have to understand. A lie is not just a lie. There's darkness tied up to that lie. We are spiritual before we are physical. Therefore, when a lie is introduced, there's a spiritual darkness, right, that that is in the midst of that. So when Paul said, who has bewitched you, you can also translate that, who has put an evil eye on you? In other words, who has cursed you? Who has clouded your understanding? Who has robbed you of your spiritual discernment? What is happening in the spiritual realm that you have lost the truth, right? And it's very important for us to note this because as believers, we are in a spiritual warfare. You know that today? We're in a spiritual warfare. Who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Didn't I show you, didn't I portray to you that Jesus was crucified for your sins? Who has taken away that vision, that understanding? Now this is the only thing I want to find out from you. That you received the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? I have this verse like highlighted in three different Bibles because the Lord keeps speaking to me through this verse. It says, Carlos, I saved you by my power. Are you not going to try to live by your strength? Right. Well, I need to remind myself of that. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When uh, In the ESV translation, when certain things are capitalized, it's not because it's screaming at you, Okay. The capitals don't mean that it's screaming at you. It means that in the, there's an Old Testament reference to this, right? There's a prophetic element to this. Verse 7, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's me and you, whoever is not Jewish, God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. In other words, it's saying this. God was speaking about Jesus and his salvation long, long, long ago. In Genesis chapter 12, you find that God gave a promise to Abraham that said this, I will bless the nations through you. How would God do that? Through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a bunch of messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and I'd love for you to get acquainted with them. One of them is Genesis chapter 12 there. You'll find that God speaks this to Abraham. Then verse 7, therefore, uh, excuse me, no, verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. In other words, those who depend on legalism, those who depend on, the, on, on their work of the law, they are living under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. What is it saying there? If you say that you live by the law, do you know that you're cursed? Because there's no possible way that you can live by the law, that you can fulfill all of the law. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Not by the law, but by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, the law having become a curse, excuse me, on the contrary, he, he who practices them shall live by them. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Let's stop. Let's stop right there and let's meditate on that. Jesus loves you so much that he saved you out of sin, not so that you can now follow rules and live a legalistic life without joy and without love and without peace. No, he saved you so that you can have joy, peace, contentment in life, so you can have a relationship with him. But then listen, he loves you so much that he who was righteous and sinless and perfect became cursed for you. Do you live with that reality? Jesus became cursed for you. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And now I'm going to jump to verse 24. Okay, from 14 I'm going to verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How are you sons and daughters? Through faith in Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. In other words, when you receive Jesus into your life and committed yourself to the word of God, you are no longer just you. You're clothed with Almighty God. And in the spiritual realm, when darkness sees you, they see, uh, the, the spiritual realm sees the seal of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit over you because you belong to him, right? You belong to God. Therefore, you shouldn't see yourself according to the standards of this world. You're not separated from God by anything when you're under Christ. Here it doesn't say that 
There's neither male or female or trying to erase gender, not at all. What it's saying is whether you're male or female, you're valuable to God. Whether you have a high position or a low position, you're valuable to God. Whether you're of Jewish descent or outside of Jewish descent, you're valuable to God because you're in Christ and we are one in him. Amen? So now as we read that scripture, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the application of your word. Help us to tune in, Father God, and, and receive the impartation of your word in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Now, first thing that I see here as I read this scripture is this, and some of you are going to dive into this with your, with your rock groups. I'm excited about it. I hope that you're growing in that. The first thing is this. It is very important that I keep in mind how I came to faith in Christ. I have to remember how I've been saved. I got to keep in mind, I got to remember and never forget how I came to faith in Jesus. What a great day. What a great day. Anybody here remember when Jesus reached you? What a great day. I don't know where you're at, you were at in life, but I bet that we can look around this room and there's all kinds of different testimonies to how we came to faith in Jesus. Some of you would say, you know, I just... I did not want to come to church, but Robbie kept inviting me to church. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, Lord, I got to get Robbie off my back. You know, I was invited to church. Somebody invited me to church. And so I said, let me just go so that I can get it over with. But when I showed up, the presence of God was there, and I just had to respond, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Some of you would say, you know, I went to a small group. You know, somebody was having something at their home, and I didn't know what it was about, but there was going to be food, and there were good people. And then they started talking about Jesus, and boom, my eyes were open, my ears were open, and I heard, the, I heard God speak to me, and I gave my life to Jesus. Somebody would say, you know, I grew up in the church. I was a church kid, so I thought because I was, my parents were Christians that I automatically became a Christian. But at one point or another in a service or in a camp meeting or reading your Bible, you realize, I got to make Jesus my own. And you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you are in the midst of a crisis. Pray, praise God for crisis. Some of you are in the midst of a crisis. And it brought you to your knees and you cried out to God and you begin to realize if you cry out to God, he hears. If you seek him, he responds to your crisis. Whatever your story may be, if you've given your life to Jesus, each and every person has this commonality in their testimony. I am saved because he loved me, because he reached me. He was looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. And if we look right now and we testify that we just sat in here, you would hear over and over again, I am saved because God by his power did a mighty work. You want to you see what a mighty work God has done in your life? Stop right now. Think about where you would be if you hadn't given your life to Jesus. If you're a believer today and you've been serving the Lord for many years, think about where would you be if Jesus wouldn't have, hadn't reached your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't committed your heart fully to Jesus Christ, today is your day. The Lord has a plan for you. The Lord, the Lord loves you, and he has set up this moment for you. God is good. He saved us by his power. The second point that I have to point out here, it is important that we keep in mind how we came to faith in Christ because he saved us by his power so that we can live in his strength. Right? Paul said to the Galatians, 
listen, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Did God move in power over your life so that now you can depend on your own strength and your own wisdom? No, absolutely not. It makes absolutely no sense. He saved you by his power so that you can live according to his strength. Paul was saying, when I was among you, I came to you. And the Bible tells us later, he came sick and feeble, but God was using him to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people were being saved and delivered and healed, and the power of God was just awesome in that, in, in that city in the, with the, within the people of, of Galatia. And they didn't know anything about legalistic living. They didn't know anything about the rules of Mo, the laws of Moses. They had no idea. They had no understanding of that stuff. They were saved by the power of God, and Paul was reminding them, God saved you by his power, not so you can live in your strength, but so that you can live in his strength. What does that mean, and why are we parking there? I want you to know something, church. You need more than one miracle from God. You need more than one encounter with Jesus. You need more than just one moment where you come to the altar and you weep before his presence. You need more than one time where the Holy Spirit comes over your life and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need more than one day in your life where you have wisdom from God to deal with a problem in life. You need more than just one day where God gives you a word of knowledge to know how to speak to your children and to your family and to your friends. You need more than one day where you have faith to get up that day and believe that God is going to move in your life. You need God every single day. And what God wants us to understand here is, look, that miraculous power that saved you is supposed to be active right now in your life. What does our Christian life look like? Full of the power of God or, or full of yesterday's testimony? I want us to pause for a minute and ask ourselves, are we comforted with yesterday's testimony, completely blinded to the fact that God the Father is saying, my son, my daughter, I have so much more for you. If you seek me, you're going to find me. If you knock, I'll answer. If you ask, you'll receive. Do you know that God the Father is calling us to seek him deeper because he's looking for an opportunity to show up and show off in our lives? I want you to think about that reality. Miraculous power, day in and day out. That's what God's called you for. I'm not saved because I was born a Christian. I'm not saved because I made a good decision. I'm not saved because he called, because of my own strength. I'm saved because he called me, because he chose me, because he has empowered me. And he says, and now I'm sending you out in my strength. Go with all of my kingdom in you and represent my kingdom on earth. It is so important to keep it in mind. It's so important to live with that reality in mind. God did not save us by his power so that we can live in the flesh. You know what? It is very possible to begin the Christian walk very well and fail miserably. It's very possible. The Galatians experienced that. They began really well. God was moving. The power of God was very real in that place. And then all of a sudden, false teachers came in. And so I want you to see how the false teachers operate. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on um, in, in the study. But the false teachers, according to the Bible, they begin with flattery. They begin to speak to the Galatians and say, oh, wow, you're so amazing. Isn't it amazing how God's moving in your life? You're just powerful. You're just anointing. God is doing something special in your life. And we just want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. There's just this one thing that you need. That's what the Galatians were doing. The Bible says that they were puffed up 
And when they receive the puff, be careful of those who flatter you. And then when they were puffed up, then the lie was introduced. This is the lie. Did Paul say that all you needed to do was receive Jesus? Did Paul say that all you needed to do is trust that his sacrifice for your sins is enough? Oh, no. I mean, you're almost there, but there's a lot more than you need. You not only need Jesus and his sacrifice, you have to follow the, raw, the, the rules of Moses. You got to eat a certain way. You got to celebrate certain days. You got to be circumcised. You got to do all these things according to the law. And if you don't do those things, you couldn't possibly be saved. That's crazy, right, to think about? But in reality, that still exists today. People make those judgments today. That girl's hair is too short. That girl's makeup's too red. That boy got that tattoo. Did you see that earring? It's not in the right place. He can't be saved. And we make all these judgments according to things that God has not convicted that individual about. And we try to put God in our box that we're comfortable in. Legalistic living. It is very possible to begin well and fail miserably. The Galatians began well, but they veered off very far from the message they received. And oftentimes, it's just so subtle. You don't realize that you've taken your eyes off the true gospel and of Jesus Christ, and you've put your eyes on yourself and on your own ability. I've been there. I've done that. Only by the grace of God, he keeps realigning me. Holy Spirit's like, hey, Carlos, you dropped the ball. Come back. I got to bring you back in. Stay anchored on the truth. But it's so easy. You know, I saw this sign, and it kind of made me giggle. Because sometimes I think some signs are really funny, kind of like this exit sign with a plywood. So, you know, some signs are funny. I want to share with you this sign I saw at the car wash. I, you, I don't know if you can read it, but the car wash at Wynn and Navarre said this, where dirty cars come clean. Someone say, well, I don't, I don't really get it. It says... Where dirty cars come clean. In other words, they came clean, but they left dirty. That's not the right time for a car wash. It's not when dirty cars become clean. It's when dirty cars come clean. They came clean, and we took care of that problem. You know, I think in the same way as the church, without us being careful, we can lose our message. I think with us... Without us being careful, we can really lose our message very easy. There are many Christians who trade their freedom for legalism. It is very possible for a church or a follower of Jesus to trade their freedom for legalism. It's very possible to trade the Great Commission for a Christian ghetto. In other words, instead of reaching people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're just comfortable with us four no more. To trade compassion for judgment. It's very possible to trade grace for a critical spirit. It's very possible to relinquish multiplication for division. It's very possible to forget the gospel and embrace religious traditions. It's very possible to trade revival for comforts. It's very possible to give up prayer and keep busy doing church work. It's very possible to preach death instead of life. And it's very possible to be a ministry that shuts the doors of the kingdom instead of opening the doors to those who need to hear the good news. It's very possible. And I'm convinced of that, of this. God is not interested in pouring out his presence and his glory where he is being misrepresented. What does that mean? 
If our life with Jesus is based on rules and the critical nature of others and our legalistic pursuit of God, I don't believe that God's interested in blessing that. Because if he blesses that, then you and I are going to believe that this is all about our strength. What I've experienced is that God will allow us to come to a quick halt, to a total crash, so that we would have to say, okay, Papa, I need to surrender. I was doing that in my strength, and I messed up. Can I get a witness? God will do that so that we will depend on him. You see, the law only reveals our need for a Savior. It only reveals our need for a Savior. And I want to just share with you as we close today a testimony. There was a point in my life when I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 16. I was so excited. I was so happy. I had so much joy. And about a month later, I entered into one of the biggest wars of my life. There was uh, two gentlemen who were a part of a cult who came to my door, and they started to share about what they believed about Jesus. And I just told them that I was a believer, that I'd recently given my life to Christ, and that I was excited about Jesus too. And they said, we'd like to welcome you to our group. This was in Orlando. The church was called the Orlando International Church. And uh, I says, we'd like to welcome you to our group. And I was as excited about Jesus. And so, you know, I said, sure. And they said, hey, why don't we just pick you up and hang out? And we did. And so they picked me up. They knew that I played basketball, so they wanted to play basketball with me. I said, let us pick you up from school. Let us get you together with other believers and the such. And so they did. And they took me to their home where they began to beat me with false claims. And the way they did it was by looking at my weaknesses. They said, oh, we can see, just like the false teachers in Galatians, they said, we can see that you really love God and that you want to grow and that you're a man of God, but we see these weaknesses and we want to talk to you about them. Are, are, do you still struggle with lust? Do you still have anger issues? Well, that's because your church is not preaching the true gospel. Really, a 16-year-old not struggle with lust and anger? That 16-year-old is a, a liar, Right? And they begin to point out all my failures and all my weaknesses. And they begin to say, it's because your church is not preaching the truth. And they begin to attack me and my church. And I was arrested in that apartment with three men for three hours as they begin to try to speak negatively about me, negatively about my church. Says that church is not a church of God. The spirit is not there. It's only the spirit of the Antichrist. Those gifts are not the gifts of God. It's a lie from the pit. And I was there literally. I know it's hard to see because I don't have any hair at this point. But literally, I was on my floor, pulling my hair, weeping before them, asking them for something, crying. And there they were. They looked at me on my knees, weeping, crying, night after night. They told me, don't talk to anybody. Lose everybody's phone numbers. We'll pick you up from school. We'll drop you off at school. You have no connection to no one. You do this this way. You're going to get baptized in this movement. And I... A spirit of fear came. I didn't know what to do. I'm 16 here, these grown men, and they have total possession of my mind and my life, it seems. And there I was, day after day, yet something in me, the spirit of God in me, praise God for Jesus. Amen. Something kept fighting and not accepting and fighting and not accepting. But the point came where I was supposed to meet with the leader who was supposed to baptize me and the main guy who was supposed to be discipling me said to me, why don't you just go to the park and pray that God will reveal to you the truth because obviously you're still wrestling. So why don't you just go to the park and ask God to reveal to you the truth? <laughs> Praise God. 
from the mouth of a donkey to the ears of God. But there, you know, I went to, I went to the park and I said, God, I need you to reveal to me the truth. I really felt like it's best if I didn't know anything about Jesus at that point. It, I said, it sucked to live. I don't want to live with this torment in my mind. And so I did, and then they took me far away to this house. It's surreal, thinking about it. But they took me to this house where this guy was supposed to talk to me so that he could give the permission to baptize me. For some reason, he started to dive about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13. I didn't know why, but now I understand why, because I know who I am now. But he said, you know, see, the Bible says the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to cease, that that's not for today, that that was for yesterday. See, right there it says that it's going to cease, and that you need to stop it in every church. It started to make a case that the churches who operate in that are operating in a lie, it's not the Spirit of God and all this stuff. Then all of a sudden, God gave me revelation, stuff I didn't even know. I'm telling you, I just freshly saved. I didn't even know this stuff. I opened up that Bible in that verse where he was pointing out where we read, and it said that the gifts will cease when the coming of the perfect is, or when it comes. And I looked at that man, and I said, well, there it says, when perfection comes. And that means when I'm perfected, which I am not, or when Jesus comes, because he's the perfect one. He hasn't come, and I'm not perfect. So therefore, the gifts are for today. And I was like, did I just say that? I couldn't believe that just happened. He grabbed his Bible, and he looked at me and said, you can't teach me this word. I know this better than you. At that moment, the Spirit of God rose in me. I said, no, sir, I'm not receiving your gospel. I will not be baptized. And I got really bold. I'm talking about this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I was 16 years old. These men are grown. They have arrested me throughout this entire time. And I just stood up and said, I will not receive this gospel. They sent, they rode me back home for another two hours trying to indoctrinate me. They opened the door and they said, we wish we would have seen you in heaven, but now you're on your way to hell. And they let me out. I'm going to tell you something. It took a while for me to get whole from that. That wasn't. But I'm going to tell you something. I learned something about Jesus. He loves us too much to leave us in deception. He loves us too much to leave us in the lie. He loves us too much to not reveal his truth. And if you hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to fill you with power for life. Would you stand with me today? Why do I share that with you today? I want you to know this. We don't have to be a part of a cult to operate like a cult. You can, live, you can go to church at, any, at a good, healthy church and veer off the true gospel. What's that true gospel? You have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Jesus loved you enough to die for your sins. That's it. If you receive him, if you believe in him, you are saved. It's not Jesus and something else. It's Jesus, period, and what he's done for you. And as you make a commitment to follow his lead, he's going to lead you. He's going to lead you. The Lord will give you wisdom. The Lord will direct your steps. He's a good God, and he values you this morning. Whether you felt separated or you've, you've not made a commitment to follow Jesus, you're not a Christian today, or whether you just feel like you've been far from Jesus, he values you. He values you. And he has a purpose for your life. 
And it's not legalism. It's not rule keeping. It's not coming to church feeling condemned and shamed because you, don't, you can't keep up. No, it's about receiving the mercy of God. What if you got up every morning believing the word of God over you? You know what the word of God says over you? It says, when you wake up in the morning, there are new mercies for you. You know what that means? I know you're going to mess up. I know the day's going to be hard. And when that day starts to press on you, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and shower you with my blessings. Just turn to me, and I will turn to you. What a good God. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for freedom in this house. I thank you for true Christianity, for true joy, true peace. There are people here who have kept themselves from living for you because they think it's about rules. No, it's about knowing you. It's about you. And then you lead us. You teach us. Father, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for freedom in this place. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we will be a people to continue to live out in your power, live the truth of, of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Right now, as you're, sitting, as you're standing there, right where you're at, You're saying, today, I need to give my life to Jesus. You're saying, you know what? I have kept myself from serving the Lord because I thought it was about rules and regulations, and I just don't feel like I can make it. I want to let you off the hook. You can't make it. You can't do it. But Jesus did it for you. And if you receive him, the power of his Holy Spirit will come in, and it is his spirit that will change your heart from the inside out. You've got to trust him and not yourself. And if you're here today and you're saying, I'm ready to trust God. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Right where you're at, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hand. All right, church. Let's pray right now. Father, I thank you for those who have raised their hands those who have given their lives to you. I thank you for freedom. I thank you for joy and for peace. I thank you that at this moment, you have washed away their sins, that you have given them a new heart, O God, and that you have cleansed them of the lies and the deception of the enemy. I thank you that right now you open up the Lamb's book of life and you write their names and you declare, I belong to you, you belong to me. I thank you, Father God, that today there's a celebration in heaven over every soul who has turned to you. We celebrate salvation today. We celebrate salvation today. Church, would you clap your hands and give thanks to God for salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you today. Now we're here, and I'm going to make one, another call, and this is going to make us uncomfortable this is going to make you uncomfortable if you're religious like me. Let me just say this sometimes. I pray, Lord, I want you to shake the religion off me so that I can have a genuine relationship with you, Jesus, right? But you know what? Um, you know, sometimes to go through life and I say, man, you saved me by your power, but I'm living in my strength. 
And I just got to stop doing that. My family needs me to be a man full of your power. My children need me to be a man who's full of your strength. My, my church needs me to depend on your presence. Right? We need your anointing. We need your authority. We need your power. I don't want to be a preacher who just preaches sermons that, that are void of the presence of God. Anybody praying for me? Pastor, I need you to... I don't want to just go through life talking about a power that I'm not experiencing. You know, I realize that there are times where I've grown comfortable and I've given up my primary call, which is to seek God with all of my heart, with all of my strength and all of my might. So if you're here today and you're saying, I commit to seek God and to come with a heart of expectation, I want to commit myself to the miraculous power of God. I know that it wasn't yes, just for yesterday. It's for today, and I need it right now. If that's you and you're with me, would you come to the altar right now? Let's pray together. Would you come to the altar right now? Would you join me? You're saying, I know that I need the power of God. I don't want to do this Christian life just from an intellectual realm or from a thought realm. I need the power of God. I need resurrection power today. To come to the altar right now let's just spend time with God and let's ask oh God we say yes to your presence oh father we need your power in our lives we say yes to your Holy Spirit we say yes to your anointing and we commit today to seek that power to seek you oh God you have it for us you have it for us and we say yes to you let's pray father I thank you Lord we respond to your presence I just pray for your church each and every one of us, thank you for your anointing, your covering, and your will for our lives. I declare that the work that you've begun in your church, you will finish. The work that you've begun in your church, you will finish. Father, do it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The altar workers, if the altar workers come up, let's pray for those who are here who need prayer. If you don't need prayer and you want to just kneel down here at the altar, um, you just want to spend time with God, we welcome you to do so. Amen. The altars are open at this time. God bless you. God bless you. Enjoy your day. If, if those who pray at the altar will come up, let's pray.